As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I believe that everybody has a story. And I'm fascinated to hear them. So come with me as we take a walk down Fascination Street. Welcome back, Streetwalkers. This is another repeat guest. This is Joe from the Thinking Sideways podcast, coming on to talk about his new show, The Shocking Details Podcast. In this episode, we talk about his new podcast and his co-host, Vincent Caldoni, who is Vincent and how they met. We also talk about a recent TV appearance on a Discovery Science Channel television series called The Curse of the Bermuda Triangle, in which Joe is in episode five. It came out on Sunday, March 8th, so it should be pretty easy to find on your interweb. so go check that out. And then, for some reason, we meander and talk about some films that we've seen and some stars that we like, and just sort of shooting the shit and chit-chatting and whatnot. Make sure that you do check out Joe's new podcast, The Shocking Details Podcast, and let him know that Steve from the Fascination Street Podcast sent you. This was recorded during all the self-distancing due to the coronavirus outbreak. So if that is over by now, woohoo. If not, damn it. But either way, here is my second conversation with Joe from the Shocking Details podcast. Welcome back to Fascination Street Podcast, Joe, from the Thinking Sideways Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Steve? I am wonderful. Now, I know that I just introduced you as Joe from the Thinking Sideways Podcast, and yeah. while that is true, that's not really your name anymore. Now your name is Joe from the Shocking Details Podcast. I know, I know. I got a new podcast. Still, you know, I'll still always be Joe from Thinking Sideways. Absolutely. I'm now Joe Shocking Details as well. So, yeah, that's why I think you've listened to it, right? I've listened to every episode. Yeah, you've gone through our entire backlog of like three episodes. 
<laughs> so yeah, we're just getting started. But by the way, how do you like it so far? Have you enjoyed listening to the podcast, or do you totally hate it? I totally hate. No, I love it, man. It's great. Ah. It's good to hear your voice ah. again. It's good to be introduced to this Vincent Caldoni fellow. Yeah, you sort of tell a narrative or a fictional narrative based on the actual. It's it's really cool the way you guys do it. Oh, you sort of make up a little story so that it makes kind of sense and we can sort of relate to it mm -hmm. because some of these stories are pretty old. Yeah. And so you sort of put it into context, you know, of people and situations where we can understand in today's world. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. Cool. And, and, and some of the, and these are stories we really, I think gone uh, well out of our way to find stuff that is just totally dropped off the page history stuff that you've hopefully never heard of or you know that's just been forgotten but some of these stories are really fascinating and that's why we're, we're doing this podcast it's kind of like it's a little different from the old podcast where we talked about unsolved mysteries and we'll still talk about unsolved mysteries where we find them but that was always a bit of frustration with the old podcast is i was always out there scouring the internet and the library and everything looking for good stories and I would come across really compelling stories, but they weren't mysteries. So, you know, they just didn't fit the format and I couldn't use them. So that was a little frustrating. So we're going to address that in this new podcast. And so there will be some non-mystery stories, but they're just still fascinating stories, I think. And, and hopefully our listeners will feel the same way. Sure. So it's not quite a true crime thing, which I think is good because there's frankly a lot of true crime stuff out there in the podcasting world. It's uh, kind of a saturated market. Even though a lot of good historical type stories do seem to involve murder and mayhem, you'll figure, but it's still not a straight up true crime kind of thing like you're seeing so much of these days. True. Start to disappoint true crime fans, but I think <laughs> even a, a true crime fan could find it interesting, uh, what we talk about. Oh, I 100% agree. Mm. What is the release schedule? It is once a week on Tuesdays. I like that it's on Tuesdays because my show comes out on Mondays and I don't need the competition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I did it exactly for that reason. I know. I appreciate that. You said, I think you said that in the very first episode. So thank you. Yeah, no, we're always looking out for you, Steve. And uh, even though I think that uh, you don't need to worry about competition from us, we need to worry about competition from you. <laughs> Luckily, our two podcasts, we inhabit different ecological niches, I think. That is the truth. Yeah, we're not really going to need to be at each other's throats over listeners, I don't think. Thank goodness. Yeah, but some of these other podcasters out there are a little more directly in competition, and some of them are probably going to have to have accidents, if you know what I'm saying. But uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> just I kidding, do. just kidding. Actually, you know, that's one of the great things I, I love about podcasting is there really isn't any kind of vicious competition or backbiting or any of that stuff among podcasters. There just isn't. I mean, every, all the podcasters I know, including people who are really, frankly, are kind of in competition with me for listeners, they are nothing but supportive. They're really great. You know, they're, they're all like, oh, Joe, you're going to do podcast. Hey, we'll give you a shout out. You know, hey, we'll run a promo for you for free, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, I, you know, I really love the podcasting world in that respect. It's a good community. Yeah, it is great. I love it. Let's hope it stays that way. Yeah, no kidding. I do feel it turning a little bit. The more famous people just jump into it mm -hmm. just for the hell of it. Yeah. For the money grab of it, I guess. Yeah. I think it's a little unfair yeah. and a lot uncool. Yeah, I know what you're saying. You know, somebody like Joe Rogan, who, by the way, I like a lot, you know, I'm not, I'm not putting him down or anything, but 
he does hoover up a massive amount of listening audience. And, you know, it doesn't mean I hate the guy or want his podcast to go away. But yeah, it is a little unfair. I mean, it's because guys like you and I, we kind of pioneered this whole thing. You know, my, my, my buddies, Steve and Devin and me, you know, we were we put together a podcast and, and started putting it out there. When frankly, there weren't that many podcasts out there and you did the same thing. And then all of a sudden these later on podcasting, wow, looks like this is going to be a big thing. And then all the celebrities jump in, you know, it's like, really people, you know, you already have money. (laughs) You guys already have fame. You have all that stuff. Come on, leave this to us. But no. I just found out that there's a new podcast where Pam and Angela from The Office get mm-hmm. together and talk about each episode of The Office. Oh, really? <laughs> Come on. That's not fair. <laughs> no, it ain't fair. Although Pam is, uh, I'm not a total office geek. Yeah, I might tune in to listen to her because she's hot. I like her. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> they always try to make her look a little bit mousy on the show, but if you see any any pictures of her in other contexts, she's gorgeous. I mean, she really is. They make her look kind of merely cute in the show, but she's dropped it gorgeous in real life. But yeah, still, they should go away. I mean, uh, it is it is amazing the, the kind of stuff that people do podcasts about. I guess I shouldn't worry too much about that. And hopefully, they probably aren't going to hoover up too many listeners from us. I hope. True. That's true. So anyway, enough of that talk. So in talking about the Shocking Details podcast again, what made you decide to do another podcast? I know that you guys went on hiatus with Thinking Sideways while Steve was out of the country. Now he's back, and I don't think that there's any current plans to restart that as of yet. Mm -hmm. So what made you decide to start this new podcast, Shocking Details? Well, you know, I actually started thinking about a podcast right after we ended our previous podcast because Steve left the country and it was like, you know, it was for an indefinite period. We didn't know how long he was going to be gone. Uh, And so I immediately started thinking about doing a new podcast because, frankly, I like podcasting. It's more meaningful work than my day job. I've heard from lots and lots of fans about how it really makes their day go better to be able to listen to us talk about a mystery or a story or whatever, you know, and I feel like I'm making the world a better place by entertaining a bunch of people. And so I really like that. I really love going out to places like, you know, going to Crime Con and meeting the fans and stuff like that. It just makes me feel good to know that I'm doing this thing that I think is bringing enjoyment to other people. And so that's why I, I missed that. And I wanted to start doing that again. But then as far as Steve and Devin and Thinking Sideways goes, there was not a lot of talk about restarting it. Even after Steve came back, there just doesn't seem to be any real interest from Steve and Devin about getting it going again. And I know Devin, of course, has gotten married and they've recently bought a house. And Devin is actually talking about having children, believe it or not. And so I just can't picture Devin really having the time for it. And Steve seems to be not interested either. And the other thing about it is, is that after Steve left the country, I started talking to my friend Vincent about doing a podcast. And then Steve comes back and they were only gone for maybe a year or so. At that time, I felt like it would have been a little unfair to Vincent after we've been talking about and working on this podcast for so long. It would have been a little unfair to say, hey, sorry, dude, I'm going to go back to the old podcast. You know what I'm saying? Would have been like kind of rude. A little bit. So I feel like I'm kind of committed to this new podcast. 
I would always leave the door open, though. I mean, if even Devin wanted to restart thinking sideways, and if I could maybe possibly find a time to actually do both of them, that's possible that we could start up thinking sideways again. I wouldn't object to that at all because I, I love the podcast and I like Steve and Devin. Sure. Some people have asked, oh, did you guys break up? Did you couldn't get along? And it wasn't like that at all. I thought we got along pretty well. We had the occasional disagreement about this or that, but we're still all on good terms and everything. So... Yeah, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about having each of you on the show independently. And uh, there was, you know, none of you had anything bad to say about the other ones. So Mm. they were really good episodes. And I think that everybody who has listened to them and responded has gleaned a lot about your relationship and that everything was cool and y'all are still friends. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. There's no bad blood. I still consider both of them to be very good friends. And, you know, I wish them both the best. And again, if they want to to restart the podcast, I'm open to it. I'm open to the thought of it. You know, what the hell? You know, another podcast, another profit center. Hey, (laughs) but seriously. (laughs) So tell me about Vincent Caldoni. Who is he? Yeah, Vincent is a former Thinking Sideways listener. We got the occasional email from him while we were doing the podcast, and then eventually we did a meetup here in Portland, and Vincent showed up for that. That's the first time I met him in person. And Vincent, uh, he's got a day job like me, but he also is a filmmaker, so he makes these little indie films. And as a matter of fact, you might want to get him on for an interview, actually. He's got a film coming out uh, in the next couple of months called Contact E. It's kind of a psychological drama about aliens visiting and People, I won't spoil it by saying any more about it. You can talk to him about it or something. And actually, I have a bit part in that movie, too. So that's another reason for all of your many fans to go see the movie. Oh, fantastic. And you'll be happy to know, by the way, for my bit part, I do have all my clothes on. So you'll be happy oh, to know. Oh, man. <laughs> I know. I know. Sorry. Sorry to disappoint you kids, but I didn't actually get paid a salary to be in the movie. And if you want me to appear naked in the movie, you're going to pay me a bunch of money. I'm not saying I would never do it, but it's going to cost a lot of money but uh note yeah. taken mm, yeah five million bucks and i need a year lead time to actually hit the gym and get back in shape again you know and then hey let's go all right i will start that gofundme uh as soon as i get off this call yeah i know exactly so you know really i mean you know in all seriousness if somebody wants to give me five million bucks i'll do just about anything i mean sure. that's short of murder all right. All right, rock on. <laughs> so i just want to put that out there to the world you know if you guys want to start a gofundme you know i don't care i'll do it whatever <laughs> but uh contact <laughs> is going to be premiering i think sometime soon here in portland so i have high hopes it's obviously not going to score any huge box office billions of dollars or anything like that but hopefully some people will see it you know i don't know man it, it could be the next blair witch or hell, it could be the next Clerks. You know, Clerks cost twenty eight grand, and look where it took yeah. Kevin Smith. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's always that possibility. If this one doesn't take off, well, I have other filmmaking ideas. So I'm just, you know, I don't know. <laughs> we'll figure something out. I mean, we'll do that. some sort of like kind of Hardy Boys esque thing about uh, about a couple of podcasters who solve mysteries or something like that. Hey, can I be Chet? Oh, absolutely, man. If I ever did a movie about podcasters playing, you know, amateur detective, I would want to get every true crime podcaster and other podcaster in there that I possibly could. I think it'd be awesome. Oh, man, that'd be amazing. Wouldn't it be fun? Think about the audience <laughs> draw. Like you would get everybody's listening audience to, to watch this movie. That'd be amazing. Yeah, no. Do it, do uh, it, do uh, it. See. I mean, Vince has got to wrap up contacting, and then we got to start kicking around ideas. Oh, Jesus, Vincent.
here's the thing, too. This is just between you and me and your millions of listeners, but I don't want to distract Vincent too much with another film project. I'd like to have a little more of his time in the podcast, you know, because it's more labor intensive than a lot of people might know, because for what we're doing, it requires a lot of research just to find the stories. Say I might pick up a, a book that's got a lot of unsolved things from World War II. And so that's got like 90 stories in it, and I've got to read every one of those, and maybe pick out one or two that are actually, I think, are cool enough and suitable enough, taking all that time just to get a couple of stories. And then i got to go out and research the hell out of those things and write the whole thing up. And so the whole thing is just really a big time suck. And so we can't distract Vincent too much, but we'll still kick it around, you know? Well, that is damned exciting, my friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Next thing I want to talk about is uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was uh, somewhere around the first week of March or something like that, there was a TV show on the Discovery Science Channel called The Curse of the Bermuda Triangle. I guess it's a series. Yeah, that, that was. There is that. That show is still on. And uh, I actually was, was asked to appear in an episode of that show. Hey, Streetwalkers. Here's a word from our sponsors. Contactee is the new movie from me, Vincent Caldoni. When therapist Jay Rossi is assigned a patient who claims to have been abducted by aliens, her story wins him over. Her tales begin to take on an aura of truth rather than insane delusion, and he concocts a plan to confront the alien intelligence. He absconds with her to a cabin in the mountains to document the phenomenon, prove that she is not crazy. But see, here's the thing. Messing with an otherworldly intelligence proves to be more dangerous than either Jay or his patient could have ever foreseen. Contactee is a heady thriller, more focused on ideas than CGI, and loaded with twists. For more details, visit contactdmovie.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Let's get back into it. Like, how does somebody reach out and say, you know what? Who I want on this show is Joe. Like, why did they call you? The way this show works, it's kind of a reality show. It's about these four guys from Key West, Florida who uh, are all friends and uh, they decide to get together and tackle the Bermuda Triangle and figure it out. And so there's going to be episodes about various things that happen. So each episode, like the first episode was devoted to Flight 19, which is about that flight of five fighter bombers that disappeared off Florida in the 40s, right after World War II. Right. That's the most famous Bermuda Triangle incident where they there, there were radio transmissions saying, oh, my God, our compasses are spinning wildly, you know, and, and, and all that stuff. And then they just vanished and were never seen or heard from again. 
So that was one episode. And that actually, uh, I went to, they flew me out to Florida. And, oh, anyway, uh, I guess I'm actually getting out of sync here. And to get back to your question, how did they find me? Well, one of the one of the stories that they wanted to talk about was the disappearance of the boat Witchcraft in 1967. And uh, this boat vanished without a trace in 1967, right offshore from Miami Beach, within sight of Miami Beach, and it uh, just disappeared. And we did an episode about that in the podcast, my old podcast, Thinking Sideways. Did you say in sight of Miami Beach, like within view of Miami Beach? Yeah. And but it was uh, this was at night, though, of course. Sure. But it vanished literally just like a mile offshore. And we did it. We had done an episode about that. And so when they were researching, apparently they discovered our episode. And then they contacted us and said, "Hey, you know, would any or in the one or all three of you want to appear on this show to talk about this mystery?" Steve, of course, was out of the country, and Devin at the time just couldn't get away from work, and so it turned out to be just me. So they flew me out to Miami to appear in two episodes, actually, uh, the one about the witchcraft and also the one about Flight 19. Although, unfortunately, I got cut from the Flight 19 episode, but I'm still in the witchcraft episode. And I didn't even I had totally kind of forgotten about it. I tried to contact one of the producers, the original guy that contacted me. I shot him an email late last year just saying, hey, dude, what's going on? It's like, is this still a thing? Can you tell me when you're going to start airing the episodes? And I never heard back from him. But I heard actually later on there that he had moved on to a different project. So that's why I never heard back from him, I guess. All of a sudden, out of the blue, right around the beginning of March, I get a call from one of the producers who tells me that, hey, the episode's going to drop this Sunday, March 8th, which is awesome. you know. And so it's uh, it did drop. It's episode five. And I'm in there. And, you know, I don't know. I think I could look better, sound better, but oh, well. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so if you want to see what I look like in real life, you probably don't. But, you know, if you do, then you can go look at that episode. Um, it's available all over the place. Like you can buy it on on Amazon Prime for like a buck ninety nine, I think. And hear me talk to these guys about the witchcraft. So it was a fun little thing that we uh, sort of like just hung out, filmed that episode, and then did some filming about Flight 19. Which, as I said, I got chopped out of because apparently the guys at the network felt like they're just seeing too many of the same faces in the same room in multiple episodes. And they felt like that made the whole thing look a little cheesy, a little low budget. And so they wound up cutting me out of that episode, alas. But that's okay. If they were going to put me in an episode, one or the other, I'd, I'd prefer they would leave me in the witchcraft since that was actually the story I'd be more about anyway. Sure. So what was your experience, you know, flying out there to do the show? Well, you know, it's flying, so it's airports and sitting in an airplane all day, you know, and all that stuff. And then I got there, and they had a hotel room reserved for me, and we were going to film the next day, and that's when they told me, the producers started like, yeah, 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 you know. I had sent them, actually, some information. We did two episodes that were kind of triangle-related. One was on the witchcraft, and the other one was on the disappearance of the Cyclops, which was around World War II time. It was a coal-carrying ship that vanished in the Bermuda Triangle. So I sent them uh, some information on both of those things, but they decided they didn't want to do the, the Cyclops with me, but they wanted instead, they wanted me to talk about Flight 19. So anyway, I go to my hotel room and uh, spent the evening just researching Flight 19, which I hate to admit is not something that I'm really all that up on, or at least I wasn't, now I am. So I could talk authoritatively about the next day in front of the cameras. The experience was just sort of, it's like, I don't know if you've done any filming or not. Mostly it's just sort of hanging around while they move cameras around and stuff like that. 
And then, of course, you shoot the scene. And then because this was kind of a low budget sort of thing, they didn't have a huge amount of equipment. So it was a lot of, a lot of would be uh, like, well, let's shoot this scene. OK, now we're going to you know, basically talk about the same stuff, but we're going to move in for some really tight shots. So go through the whole thing again. And then next thing, OK, now go through the whole thing again. We're moving the camera way back for some long shots here, you know, and now do the whole thing again. <laughs> That's kind of the way it. it it, it doesn't look like that in, um, in the, you know, on the air. They edit it hopefully well. But yeah, in real life, when you're filming anything like that, there is a lot of that kind of repetition and stuff that happens. So it's not nearly as exciting and fun in real life as it comes out looking on the screen. But, you know, still, I don't have a hugely negative attitude towards the whole thing. You know, I understand why it works that way. And, you know, so it's all cool. Any chance that they are going to tap you again for another episode or more in the future? Uh, it's hard to say, you know, actually, uh, when, when I chatted with him, he was like, yeah, you were great. And if we come back for a season two, then we're going to definitely think about having you on again. And I was like, well, fantastic. You know, of course that could just be Hollywood talk, you know, it's like, yeah, we love you. <laughs> you know, so I don't know, sure. but see, I don't want to accuse these people of being insincere. I think he actually meant it. It's just a question of if something comes up that they can use me in, then, you know, I probably will get asked on again. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if they have a season two. I don't know. We'll find out. Hopefully they will. Because, you know, I'm kind of pulling for these guys. I mean, these four guys are just kind of regular guys like you and me. And this is kind of an, a fun opportunity for them. But in season one, a lot of these little independent kind of reality shows, salaries are not high. These guys are not getting paid huge bucks for the first season. They won't start making big bucks until the second season. Once they get a toehold and everything like that, and if it actually is a profitable show, then they'll start making some money. So, you know, I want to see those guys do well. So hopefully the show comes back for a couple more seasons and they get to make boatloads of cash. Yeah, that, that'd be awesome. You know, it's kind of the way I feel about my podcast. You know, hopefully the podcast takes off and I get to make boatloads of cash, you know. Cash is good. Speaking of pay, did they pay you for this? You don't have to say how much, but did you get paid besides airfare and hotel? Yeah, no, they they did pay me for it. Not a huge amount of money at all. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, again, it was just kind of a lark for me to fly out to Miami. In, in terms of like, do I feel it was a profitable experience? Eh, not really, because when you consider the time involved, just sitting in airports and planes. Mm, yeah, no. But still, they did pay me a little bit. So I, I don't know. I guess I'm now a professional TV star or something. Nice. I don't know if this means I need to join a union, but yeah, yeah, I've been actually paid to appear on TV. Well done. I think it was. Uh, I think it was Chuck Berry. It was either Chuck Berry or BB King? One of them said, "I play for free. They pay me to travel." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it, the travel part of it. That was the onerous part of this particular thing. I mean, I live, uh, as you know, clear out on the West Coast in the Pacific Northwest, and Miami, it turns out, is on the far kitty corner side of the country. It's a long ways away. That's, you know, that's a full day of flying right there. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, you're so far away, it would almost be conceivable that it'd be faster to fly west to get there. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. Fly over the pole, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Just go in any random direction and the triangle will get you there, you know. But if the Bermuda Triangle is indeed as powerful as many people believe it to be, then, you know, I should be able to just go anywhere and wind up in, you know, in Miami. But uh, we didn't do it that way. We went the conventional way. And uh, that's the other the problem, too, with, with travel anywhere from Portland. Is that Portland still, despite our reputation as a wonderful place that everybody wants to live and yada, 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 we're still kind of a backwater in many ways. And there's not actually too many direct flights to here, there, and everywhere from Portland. Uh, so 
I had to go through, of course, Atlanta to get to Miami from Portland. And uh, so that adds an extra layer of goodness to your traveling day. You know, they have to make a connecting flight to some airport, right? So anyway, I need to, I need to probably move to somewhere. Like if I'm going to be a real honest-to-God TV star, I probably need to move to L.A. Yeah, because the, uh, the flight from L.A. to Miami is way easier. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a direct flight, at least. Oh, well, that's a good point. Yeah, there's that, you know. But yeah, no, I, I'm just joking. By the way, I don't. I, I lived in LA for a couple of years. I don't particularly want to live there again. Nothing against people from California, you know. But LA is just like wow. Like, there's some really beautiful pockets, but overall, it's like this sprawling megalopolis, with just full of smog and hideous traffic and homeless. Oh, yeah, they got a lot of that. But actually, we have plenty of that here in Portland, too. Yeah, not like they do. I read somewhere recently that they have 100,000 homeless people in Los Angeles County. Oh, my God. That is a lot of people, man. Well, yeah, you know, that's why, um, you know, I've been thinking that what we need to do for our homeless here is actually buy the bus tickets to Los Angeles. Because, number one, I mean, if all of our homeless moved there, they would hardly notice. It wouldn't bump their numbers that much. And number two, the weather's a lot nicer. I would think it'd be a lot easier to be homeless in Los Angeles than to be homeless here in Portland because, frankly, it's kind of cold and wet. So it it wouldn't be us getting rid of the homeless. It'd be a humanitarian gesture, relocating them somewhere Nicer. More favorable weather-wise, you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. Yeah, I do know what you're saying. I think I read somewhere that uh, San Francisco did that exact thing. They bought them bus tickets to L.A. Yeah, no, I have heard similar stories. A lot of cities around the country are buying their homeless people bus tickets to Portland or San Francisco or L.A. or wherever. <laughs> it's a little irresponsible, frankly, to you know go pushing your problems off onto other cities like that. Hopefully they're using tax dollars for the to, to buy those tickets. Uh, oh yeah, I imagine they are. But it's kind of interesting though. I mean, you could actually maybe maybe we should make a movie about that. It's like you know, in the, in the, the dystopian American future of eighteen months from now, the homeless <laughs> in America basically live on Greyhound buses and, and they spend very little time actually on the ground. They're all just being you know constantly ferried around the country from point A to point B to point C. <laughs> yeah, sort of a takeoff of uh, Snowpiercer. Yeah, exactly. It'd be a lot like that, you know. Um, we could call it Bull Piercer. I don't know. But we'll, I'll have to think of a good name for it. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I actually personally can't think of a single plot idea coming from that other than just the idea of homeless people riding the buses always around the country. But, uh, you know, I'll think it's something. Well, you know, then you'll have cool scenes like, uh, what is it, um, from Almost Famous where everybody sings on the bus, Tiny Dancer. <laughs> you know, you'll have big fun times like that. Yeah, no, that's a good point. <laughs> Here's an idea. Especially when I was a kid, they had like road shows where people are, are traveling around America and everywhere they go, sometimes they get involved in some little drama, you know? So like there was this show on when I was a kid called Then Came Bronson about some guy on a motorcycle. He's touring America and he gets involved in, in people's lives in these various places. So it could be something like that, you know, the, the bus just stops off in, you know, in Podunkville, wherever. And, you know, there's... Some family is having a drama or something like that because, you know, their son wants to run away and join the theater and, and it's a scandal and, and there's a heartwarming conclusion and it's back on the bus on to the next city. Something like that, for example. That's funny. It sort of goes back to uh, when we were talking about clerks mm-hmm. and here's how I'm going to make that connection because I believe that in that movie, Then Came Bronson, I think the star was Michael Parks. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Who was in one of Kevin Smith's movies, mm-hmm. Red State. 
Yeah, he's still around. You don't see him very often. But no, I, he passed away. Oh, did he really? He passed yeah. away last year. No, yeah. I remember he was uh, he was in Twin Peaks, and then uh, I saw him in something else more recently. But yeah, it was just like every once in a while he sort of kind of just popped. He up. might have been in a Quentin movie recently. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It was something like that. I can't put my finger on it right now. But yeah, I was actually thinking about when Beto O'Rourke was still in the campaign, and he was talking about road tripping around America. Remember that? Yeah. And I never got around to it. I wanted to make like a YouTube series called Then Came Beto. And it'd be like, you know, so we can find a Beto lookalike and he's on a motorcycle, you know, and, and find, get the theme from Then Came Bronson and play it, you know, Then Came Beto, you know, and he rolls into these towns, you know, and they've got problems. And Beto's like, yeah, people, I'll solve your problems, you know, we're just going to raise taxes and then we're going to have a we're going to have some programs, you know, and then, yeah, yay. And, and then, you know, he's moves on and then on to the next town. <laughs> but Then Came Beto. But then he dropped out of the race, so I kind of lost my incentive to pursue that project. So did he. Yeah, and that, yet another unrealized idea, alas. You know, uh, Michael Parks was actually in two Kevin Smith movies, both Rick oh, really? and Tusk. Uh-huh. And also, he was in Argo and Django Unchained. So get right on out of here. That dude worked all the way up to Django the end. Django Unchained? Yeah. Oh, I'm trying to remember what part he played in Django. <sighs> he played LaQuint Dickey Mining Company employee. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, that's ringing a bell now. And then, yeah, he he played some like uber bad guy in Twin Peaks. I remember that. Well, Twin Peaks was like that was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a while back. That was before the the reboot or whatever when they brought it back for new seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Twin Peaks. That was a classic. But uh, yeah, anyway, it's good that the guy managed to have a career. And he was like another one of those guys. Like Robert Forster had a TV show years and years ago when I was a kid. And then he sort of dropped out of sight and popped up in the, again here and there. And then wound up in Jackie Brown. And then he sort of came back uh, with that role. And I don't know if you saw Jackie Brown, another Quentin movie. Yeah. So he did Jackie Brown, and then he had a, a recurring role on Breaking Bad, which where he was he was also really really good. And uh, unfortunately, he died recently too. It's kind of frightening when all these TV stars from my my childhood they're all dying. It's like what's what's going on with this, you know? Yeah, it's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? Yeah, what's well, all this dying stuff? And I'm not cool with this. I mean, but unfortunately, it seems to happen. Yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not on board. No me likey. No, no, me neither. But uh, yeah, that's okay. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't. It's just all a question. Apparently, we're all going to die in twelve years from global warming anyway. So what the hell? You know? That's what I hear. Hey, streetwalkers! Here's a word from our sponsors. Hey, guys! If you're like me, quarantine or not, you and your family are looking for new things to do together that don't involve staring at a screen. I have the perfect solution. It's a new trivia game called You Know It, and it's a blast, and you can try it for free. You Know It was created by John Sylvain, one of the hosts of the Nooner podcast on Kevin Smith's Smodcast Podcast Network. And since I'm a fan of that podcast, I signed up for an early copy when John launched his Kickstarter campaign. Really, I just wanted to be supportive, but my family and I played the game, and we loved it. Days later, everybody kept saying how fun it was. It's a very simple game. The rules are even simpler than Trivia Pursuit, but there's a lot of strategy to it as well, and the questions are fun and interesting and sometimes hilarious. And all of the questions have two parts, so maybe you don't know the first part, but maybe you know the second part, or vice versa, like this one. What name is shared by a California NBA team and a California NHL team? The Kings. They're not all easy like that, but some of them are. 
There's wild cards and strategy and stealing and even consequences for getting an answer wrong. One of my favorite parts about this game is that there's three questions on each card, three rounds plus maybe a tiebreaker for each game. Like when me and my family played, there was four of us, and it took 45 minutes to an hour. And we only used six cards, and there's so many cards. We could play this game forever. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have to be drinking to play this game, but me and my family were, and I tell you what, it raises the fun level to 11. I highly recommend you try it, and you can do that for free by going to youknowitthegame.com, all one word, no spaces, and you can download and print a starter pack for free. There's also more cards available for science and sports and even a special Generation Z pack. And if free isn't cheap enough for you, Streetwalkers can get 30% off on all other downloadable packs by using the discount code FSTREET at checkout. Once again, that's youknowitthegame.com, all one word, no spaces, and use the discount code FSTREET at checkout for 30% off all other downloadable packs. And if I'm being honest, Streetwalkers, I'm a little upset that I only got one copy of this game. My kids are adults, and they deserve a copy of this game so they can play with their friends too. Remember, the game is called You Know It, and it's a blast. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's get back into it. Yeah, Robert Forster was also in, he was in the Breaking Bad movie, El Camino. Oh, that's right. That's right. I saw that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, you know, originally when they came out with that, you know, I wasn't going to watch it because I was kind of in the anti-Jesse camp because I know, you know, I don't know if you know that there is kind of a debate over Jesse, you know, whether people should feel sympathy for Jesse or not. And I was kind of like feeling like Jesse was this annoying guy who who just got all teary-eyed and weepy about stuff and unfairly blamed Walter for a lot of things. And then in the end, rats him out. So I was just not, not that sympathetic to him. I didn't hate his guts, but I was like, you know, dude, Christ, you're a rat. You're a snitch. And then I watched, I, I wound up rewatching Breaking Bad uh, on Netflix. And here, here's the key to rewatching Breaking Bad is especially in the earlier few seasons when there's a lot of family drama stuff going on. You fast forward through that stuff and then it really speeds up the process. It's great. But then at the end of watching the second time, I still feel like Jesse was a source of a lot of Walter's problems, but I, I felt a little more sympathy for his character after watching it a second time around. Then I watched El Camino. Then, of course, Robert Forster was in that. But that was my spiritual journey from being anti-Jesse to more a little bit more pro-Jesse. Well, whatever it takes, right? Yeah, where did you fall on that whole spectrum? Are you anti-Jesse or are you pro-Jesse? I was really pro-Breaking Bad. I thought it was a great series. It was written very well. And like Jesse or not, I think it was a testament to his acting and his character development that he was supposed to die in the first season. Jesse was? Yeah. I did not know that. Really? Yeah. Oh, really? And they they decided they liked him so much they kept him around, huh? Yep. Isn't that crazy? No, I did not know this. Yeah, no, he is. Uh, God, who's the guy? Aaron Paul plays Jesse. Right? Yeah, and, bitch. Uh, yeah, he is a very he is a good actor. Yeah. Yeah, he is a good actor. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah. Well, when he stepped into the Jesse role, I definitely believed it. You know, he was a definitely a, a believable character. That's true. 
I believe that I heard he had some issues coming to grips with having to tell his family that he was doing that role because they're super religious, maybe even Mormon. I'm not sure, but it was a uh, really, yeah, he had a hard time coming to his parents and saying, Hey, uh, <laughs> uh you're gonna see some mm. things, <laughs> I'm gonna say some things, <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, but ultimately, uh, you know, the upshot of Breaking Bad is that doing meth is not really good, you know? It's, it's not like it was a pro-drug TV show. Well, depends on how you look at it. I think it made yeah. doing and selling and making drugs amazing, and it's something I'm looking to get into if the whole podcasting thing doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've thought myself, you know, I've got this sort of engineer's mentality. I see a, a problem or a process and I want to fix it and make it better or create a new one. You know, and I've often thought about, well, you know, if I was going to smuggle vast amounts of cocaine into America, how would I do it? And I've often thought it would be fun to smuggle just boatloads of cocaine into America and profitable. But the problem is, is I know how it would work out for me, just like I'm Breaking Bad. The problem is, is the people that you have to deal with are as likely as not to, like, murder you. And so that's kind of where the issue is. But uh, just making or transporting it into America, hey, that's cool. Then once you get it here, you know, and you got to actually sell it to somebody, they've got a strong incentive to just shoot you and take the stuff and not pay you for it. And so that's probably why my career as a smuggler would probably be quite short. Talk about smugglers blues. Yeah, I know. Seriously. Same thing with the mess. You know, they were they were cranking out some high quality mess. But here's one of the reasons I sort of shifted to uh, more of a pro Jesse point of view is because the first time around, you know, Walter, as you know, spoiler alert here, by the way, Walter comes back. Jesse's been imprisoned by this, this gang of thugs who are forcing him to cook meth for them. And uh, Walter goes back in the end and rescues Jesse from these guys. And I thought, wow, that was a really nice gesture on Walter's part. And But then when I watched it again, you know, paying a little more closer attention, I realized that, oh, Walter found out. Walter is like what really motivates him is he finds out that somebody is manufacturing this net that's got this blue tinge to it. Somebody has basically, you know, pirated his recipe. And he's like, ah, no. And that's the real reason I think Walter came back, not to rescue Jesse, but just because he was angry that somebody was making his stuff. And that's why he came back and slotted those guys. Ego was a powerful thing, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's really, in the end, what kind of was the big motivating factor for Walter. And I sort of missed that the first time around, uh, that really that was a much bigger issue than Jesse's freedom or Jesse's well-being for Walter was just, that's my recipe. (laughs) So that's what brought him back. But nonetheless, Walter did do a few good things before he ended it all. Sure. You know, that that reminds me, man, have you seen any good movies lately? Or like, what are you watching these days? Have you seen Chappaquiddick? No, I haven't. Is it worth it? It's good. I recommend it. It's actually, I mean, it makes Teddy Kennedy out, of course, to be kind of a scoundrel. But at the end, you know, you almost feel a little sympathy for Teddy because, you know, Teddy has been sort of thrust into this role and he's just not up to it. He's been thrust into the role, this role as, you know, famous guy, rich guy, politician, senator, et cetera. And, he, you know, and he really just doesn't have the character to support it. He sort of, And even Teddy sort of seems to realize this that the expectations placed on him are just more than he can deal with because he's just not really that, that awesome of a person. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. He can almost feel a little bit of sympathy for Teddy, even though his performance at Chappaquiddick was by all appearances, pretty awful. (laughs) 
<laughs> maybe he left this girl to die in a car. You're familiar with the story, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, no, it's a good movie. I'm surprised it was ever even made at all. You'll see that, of course, it was not made while Teddy was still alive. Correct. <laughs> they had to wait yeah, until no after shit. Teddy died, wait a respectable period after that before they could finally make a movie, you know, about a Kennedy that was, you know, frankly, not flattering. And, uh, it's, and it is pretty unflattering to, to Teddy. But like I said, at, at a certain point, you can almost feel just a little tiny bit of sympathy for the guy. <laughs> not much. I mean, I personally detested Teddy Kennedy, but, you know, as a politician, I just thought he was freaking awful. I mean, irresponsible and, and, not, and frankly, not bright. I mean, he was not, I mean, Teddy's not a flaming, he wasn't a complete flaming moron, but I don't think he was nearly as smart as his brothers, especially I, I really felt like Bobby Kennedy was the smartest of the brothers, you know, and of course he got killed back in the 60s and uh, Teddy was kind of came up third in terms of brightness. By the way, Jen, of course, the oldest one, he died in World War II. You've heard that story, right? Was it, There was Jack's older brother. He was like a pilot or some shit. Yeah, Joe Kennedy Jr. Yeah, he was a pilot. And uh, apparently the story was is what they wanted to do was they wanted to take out this big dam in Germany. Nice big strategic target, you know. And so they had this idea of what we'll do is we'll, we'll get a bomber and we'll pack it full of explosives and turn it into a big flying drone bomb. But of course, drone technology back in those days wasn't quite what it is today. And so uh, what they did is uh, they set it up so that they could control it remotely by radio. But they didn't have any anything near the technical sophistication to actually have the plane take off by itself. And so they had to have two pilots to actually get the plane off the ground and get it at altitude and stabilize and everything. And then they would bail out of the plane. And one of those pilots was Joe Kennedy Jr. So the plan was is that they get it going and then uh, before they bail out of the plane, they arm the bomb. And then they jump and, uh, you know, the plane goes on to do a steal and take out this dam. But when it was time to arm the bomb, the plane just exploded. So <laughs> oh, shit. somebody fucked up. <laughs> you know, this is the thing is like like a friend of mine who served in Iraq explained to me how they how they do IEDs over there. Yeah. And what they do is that originally they use radios, like later they switched to cell phones, but you set your bomb and you connect it up to your triggering device, like your radio, and connect it to the battery. And just on the off chance that you did your wiring a little bit wrong, you use a cutout. So what they would use is just a simple kitchen timer. They, they turn the dial for you know, 10, 15 minutes and there's two wires like soldered or glued or taped to it. And then when it finally winds down to zero, the two wires touch, and then your bomb is armed. When you connect the battery and the radio and everything like that, you've, you've got this cutout, which is kept, which keeps the circuit open. So if you fucked up, you won't blow yourself up. And that's why they do these things. So they actually could have, you know, Joe Kennedy Jr. could have been president of the United States, and he was the fair-haired boy. He was actually ahead of JFK in terms of his dad's expectation for being president. So if they had just thought to use like a simple kitchen timer cutout in their bomb set up on that plane, then he would have wound up being president and not JFK. That's crazy. Think about that. That's nuts, man. <laughs> what I want to see is I want to see a biopic on, on Joe Kennedy, the dad, because that was one evil motherfucker. Yeah, he was. I and mean, he is. And actually Bruce Dern plays him in Chappaquiddick. Oh, cool. Bruce Stern is still around and still doing crotchety, crazy old man roles. <laughs> a la Nebraska. Yeah, you saw him in Hateful Eight, too, right? He was pretty good in that. I don't know if you saw the Hateful Eight. Yeah, he was great. Great and crusty. 
Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, no, he's good, and uh, so he plays Joe Senior in that movie. It makes Teddy Kennedy out, of course, to be kind of a scoundrel, but at the end, you know, you almost feel a little sympathy for Teddy. You know, he wasn't a totally horrible person. Not totally, not totally. But speaking of horrible people, yeah, uh, the show is called the Shocking Details Podcast. It comes out every Tuesday. Yeah, speaking of horrible people, yes, my my pod. Let's get back to that. Yeah. What can we expect in the future? What kind of stuff are you going to cover? Give us a sneak peek. Oh, so many sneak peek things. You know, I was uh, I just recently, just yesterday, started. I looked at my list and thought I need to start researching and writing another one. So I started looking into the case of Robert Maxwell and his mysterious death. Robert Maxwell, of course, was the big media newspaper magnet, kind of like Rupert Murdoch, but less civilized, and was reputed to have connections to the Mossad, as well as MI6 and KGB, etc. He died mysteriously on his, by falling overboard from his yacht just off the Canary Islands years ago. And, uh, of course, there was a mystery about that. Uh, was he murdered? Uh, and there are some people who claim that he was trying to blackmail the Mossad and they decided to just kill him. And other people think he just fell overboard. So there's a mystery there. But at the end, one of the more intriguing things about it, though, is that his daughter, Ghislaine T. Maxwell, you may have heard her name in the news recently. Oh, shit. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody knows who that is. Buddies with uh, Mr. Epstein, who epstein himself in a cell in New York. That's the guy. Yeah, Ghislaine or Ghislaine or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I can't really say there's a connection. I just thought, wow, that's that's kind of funny. There's been other people out there in the papers who've made that connection, too. But nobody's you know, yet drawn a line between. But as you know, with, with Epstein, too, there was all this, a similar kind of talk about possible intelligence connections. Because at some point, people were kind of wondering, well, exactly how did this guy get rich? And as a similar thing with Robert Maxwell, some people are asking themselves, how precisely did this guy get so rich? It kind of actually is similar to Epstein in some respects. Interesting. Yeah, but anyway, so that's one that I've been kind of just started looking into. I've done a lot of research on another story, which will not be coming out for a little while, like a month or two at least. Well, maybe shorter than that. I don't know, but I'm doing the story, researching the story of Harold Cole. You ever heard of that guy? No. Of course not. No, nobody has. Another guy that fell down the memory hole, Harold Cole was a British criminal and con man who uh, was in a British expeditionary force in France at the beginning of World War II. And he's one of the guys that wound up not escaping France at Dunkirk. You saw the movie Dunkirk, right? Of course. Yeah, great movie, by the way. I highly recommend it. But they didn't actually get everybody out. There were about 6,000 plus or minus people or soldiers who were uh, left behind. And Harold Cole was one of them. So he set himself up being a con man and a grifter. He was ideally suited to this job of making connections with locals and figuring out ways to smuggle some of these soldiers out of occupied France and into unoccupied France and from there into down to Spain and out to Gibraltar where they could be evacuated to Britain. So yeah, he helped to set up these uh, very sophisticated escape lines through France to get all these soldiers. And then later on, of course, the Battle of Britain, there's an air war going on and pilots are, are also getting shot down. So they start helping these guys also escape occupied France. So it, it kind of looks like you know, this British criminal like sort of redeemed himself by becoming part of the French resistance and helping all of these downed airmen and soldiers and stuff like that. But then the story takes a much 
darker and interesting twist. And it's a long, complicated story. I've read two books about this guy's story. And it's kind of surprising that nobody's made a movie about this guy in his life because it's so incredible what this guy did. I mean, the guy was a criminal, potentially also a spy. Some people think he was working for MI6. Some, some people think he was working for the Germans. And so it's kind of a little mystery. It's a war story. It's all about the French resistance and all kinds of other stuff. So that'll probably be a two-parter. So that's something you can look forward to. Nice. And on and on from there. That, so the kind of the stories I'm trying to find are just weird, twisted stories that people have just kind of forgotten about. And this is definitely one that uh, people have forgotten about. Well, those definitely sound like they are full of shocking details. Oh, yeah. Tons of shocking details. Yeah, no, we're going to definitely shock the pants off everybody. And I can't guarantee every single episode is going to be electrifying, but... You know, we'll, we'll try to keep the whole thing interesting. Well, they can't all be zingers. No, no, they really can't be. You know, they can't all be five stars. But uh, we'll hopefully at least have a representative number of five-star episodes in there. And we we promise not to go below three stars ever. Okay? That's our guarantee. That is the guarantee. That's our guarantee. It's going to be mostly fours and fives and maybe the occasional three. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, you can take that to the bank, and we will refund your money if you're not satisfied. Oh, very cool. Absolutely. We guarantee it. Yeah. So as we're heading out, everybody go back and find Episode 5 of The Curse of the Bermuda Triangle series on the Discovery yes. Science Channel. Absolutely. And check out what Joe looks like with no pants on. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, uh, don't forget to check out the Shocking Details podcast with Joe and Vincent Caldoni that comes out every Tuesday, everywhere you get your podcasts. And go ahead and uh, subscribe, rate, and review, and send them a note. After you listen to an episode, there'll be an email where you can you can send them an email and tell them that you heard about it here. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Dude, use that Fascination Street Redemption code, so that way Steve gets a nice kickback. That's right. He gets 10%. <laughs> I do. I get 10% of whatever it costs you to listen. Ow. Exactly. So the shocking details, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and, you know, everywhere. There's a ton of platforms out there, but I think those three kind of cover 98% of the podcasting territory. And, of course, our email is the shocking details podcast at Gmail. So shoot us an email. And, uh, you know, even if you've never listened to the podcast, you can totally write us an email and state your opinion about whatever. You know, you can do that. It's free country. Of course, so far. Yeah. Hey, so anyway, Steve, I really appreciate you letting me come on here and just ramble on about totally random stuff for an hour or so, and also plug my podcast. It was 100% my pleasure, man. It's always fun talking to you. That was great talking to you, and I still want to get together. I, this is the, the final sort of sign-off thing. You and I actually collaborated on investigating the mysterious death of Colonel Philip Shu. I actually had you driving out to the to the place of death and, and, and looking at it and taking pictures and, and sending them to me. And you remember that? Oh, uh, boy, do I. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I know. And so, you know, who knows? We might collaborate on another mystery again one of these days. And you know, hopefully so. Maybe we can do an episode about that or D.B. Cooper or God knows what else. Yeah, that'd be super rad. Joe, tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Social media, we are on Twitter, where we are shocking details, of course. We're on Facebook, everywhere. So far, we're, we don't have a Patreon. We don't have an Instagram, but that's going to be coming. It's just uh, kind of still getting off the ground here. But definitely Twitter, Facebook, and, of course, you know, all the places you find good podcasting content. And, of course, the email.
Featuring Joe from Thinking Sideways Podcast and filmmaker Vincent Caldelli. This is The Shocking Details. And you personally? Me personally? Oh, where can you find me on social media? Yeah. Well, of course, you can still find me through the old Thinking Sideways channels. We still have our email out there and our Facebook. But me personally, uh, on Twitter, I am out there as Danger Probe. That's at sign Danger Probe on Twitter. And let's see where else. Oh, I'm on Instagram. I'm Danger Probe also on Instagram. So you can find me there, too. Fantastic. Everybody give a shout out. Go reach out to yeah. this dude. He's awesome. Absolutely. Y'all know he's awesome. He's been on here twice. That's not all that common. No, you don't let people on twice very often, do you? Not very often. That is the truth. There's only a handful. Yeah. Have you had Quentin Tarantino on your show twice? I have not. Well, yeah. See, that's kind of cool. I'm flattered that I'm above Quentin Tarantino in the pecking order here. Finally, you know. You are above a lot of people in that pecking order, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So, Joe, from the Shocking Details podcast, thank you so much for coming back and hanging out with us again, man. It was a lot of fun. I look forward to the next time. It was great talking to you, Steve. And, yeah, I'll be talking to you soon again, I'm sure. All righty. Talk to you later, buddy. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. As always, thanks for listening, Streetwalkers. And don't forget, follow the show on Twitter at FascinationSTPD. On Instagram at Fascination Street Pod. Follow the podcast page on Facebook at Fascination Street Podcast. And of course, you can always email me at FascinationStreetPod at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button and rate us on iTunes. Opening music is the song Magnolia from the 2014 album Intransigence. Used with permission from Douglas Miles Clark. Closing music is Apollo from the 2001 album Into the Known by the band Sapphire. Thanks for hanging out with us and getting to know a little bit about our guest. We'll see you next time on Fascination Street.